You're listening to Clock Shelves Entertainment, the only podcast network bringing you great times. Hey everyone, this is Future Paul coming at you. This episode that you're about to listen to was recorded quite some time ago. Do apologize for the delay, but I'm just letting you know that this episode is brought to you with limited interruptions today, brought to you by content club that is patreon.com slash clock shelves um and our new podcast series buffy verse and converse that's a show where myself and several frequent clock shelves collaborators get together to talk about buffy the vampire slayer the television series 25 years later that's right it's been 25 years since buffy the vampire slayer rolled into sunnydale and into our geeky hearts and we are going episode by episode uh going over the episode or i'm sorry going over the series and um the great thing about it is some people have watched the series some people haven't watched the series so we're We're getting all sorts of viewpoints from various ages, various levels of fandom, and everything in between. So make sure you go check that out. Available now. The first several episodes are available now. uninterrupted over at Content Club, coming to your favorite podcast feed anywhere you get podcasts. But for now, enjoy this episode brought to you with limited interruptions from Buffyverse and Converse on Content Club. Time to chit chat about this and that. Oh yes, no stress. We keep coming back. JBC and all his friends from far and near. Maybe make you cry, maybe bring you some cheer. So many people with so much to say, from pop culture to travel, weird news to Q and A. No topic is too small here on our show, Paul and all. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Paul and All. As always, I am your host, Paul Casey, and this is an episode I've been wanting to do for a little while now, and I figured with uh, a particular anniversary coming up very soon, and we're going to be talking about it here on uh, some Clock Shelves Entertainment stuff, it might be a good idea to do it, and it's going to be with a returning guest and a brand new guest today. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, separating the art from the artist and how difficult that might be and and things like that. But before we go any further, I want to uh, give the guests time to introduce themselves. So as I said, returning guest and new guest, go ahead, guys. Uh, Hi, my name's Liam. I'm back again. I feel like it's been been a little bit, but it's good to be back. All right, and hello, I'm the new guest. My name is Kyoda. I am from uh, Renegade Pop Culture. Uh, we do a podcast basically about everything under the sun, essentially uh, animation, video games, comics, movies, you name it, we got it. Um, <laughs> and just basically thank you to Paul for uh, for having me on today. Really appreciate it, man. Of course, man. Been trying to sync up <laughs> something for a while once... Uh... Well, so actually, I mean, we could kind of just get right into it. The The way that, that you and I sort of became friends, Kiona, was yes. um, through the works of Joss Whedon. Indeed. And really, he is kind of at the center of me thinking about this topic of separating the art from the artist. Uh, we met kind of through a, a Facebook group about, you know, Buffy yes. and things like that. And, Many moons uh, ago. <laughs> Yes. 
And once I saw that you also do, you know, creative nerdy stuff for a, a while, I've been saying, oh, we should, you know, we should collaborate yeah, on something. Totally, totally. And this sort of seemed like one of the perfect opportunities to uh, to do that. Now, Liam, I know you're not necessarily a, a Joss Whedon fan per se, mm -hmm. but I also know that there are other examples of this when it comes to sort of separating the art from the artist. Um, I know wrestling has that a lot. One particular instance being Chris Benoit. Mm. Um, I know there's like Louis CK. Can people still, whether it be enjoy his show or just some of his stand up comedy? And it, I mean, I don't want to just say like cancel culture has sort of gone awry because there are obviously certain reasons why people should be. Um, I hesitate to use the word demonized, but they should have to answer for the things that they did. Um, but then you have an instance like uh, James Gunn a few years ago had some tweets from like 10 years prior that were then resurrected and he got fired. And then, you know, the heat sort of died down a little bit mm -hmm. and then got rehired and now is sort of king of the geek mountain once again. And, um, you know, it's it's just a strange thing, sort of this separating the art from the artist sort of thing. So, um, well, you know what, before we before we go any further, Liam, were there I mean, other than James Gunn, were there any there? I know uh, Kiona's kind of nod. I see he's the only one on the video chat. I see him kind of nod in there like, yep, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, Liam, is there is there any that that I didn't say that you can think of in particular with sort of separating the art from the artist because you know the artist has been again I hesitate to you know use canceled as the as the sort of thing but did I did I miss any there that really stick out for you? I mean, well, you know, this is this is Hollywood. Uh, I you know I don't really know why it, Hollywood ended up like this but that's just kind of how hollywood is it's kind of a cesspool uh i don't think there's a single actor or director working today that could have some some dark secret revealed about them of some prior predilection and i would be surprised i don't think it's i mean you could look at kevin spacey uh brian singer comes comes to mind uh, Mel Gibson, uh, but that was more for like, I think Mel Gibson's did a lot of anti-Semitic stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, what, a, a case that I want to talk about because it's an interesting little reversal on it. I think is uh, Victor Salva. He he he, he, uh, he was a he, he was a somewhat a, a somewhat big director a while a, a little bit back. But th there's there's a lot of there's a lot of examples of this Rosie O'Donnell so the last the last one I have to no, say the Victor Salva is not necessary I mean I'm sure if you said like what he's done I've probably but the, the name doesn't really pop out at me yeah uh, do, do you want to get into that one now or because it's um well, it's, it's I mean it's kind of up to you guys what you want to if there was one in particular that we wanted to sort of start out with or you know because I, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily come up with like, you know, a, a format per se. I just know. Uh, so I'll, I'll put it this way. When when everything came out about Joss Whedon 
and I've said it uh, a few times on a few different shows now. Excuse me. I, I mean, Liam, you know, I talk about like Buffy a lot. It's it's the Buffy verse is like top three, you know, favorites for me, like TV show wise. It goes Lost, Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, and then the Buffy verse, because I really consider Buffy and Angel to be one. But that's a separate thing. Um, but that's, you know, like top three favorite uh TV shows or franchises for me. And there was a time years back when I really started getting into like Joss Whedon stuff. And um, the way I kind of got into it just as like a quick aside was dollhouse was coming out and I knew the name Joss Whedon. And like, I knew that he had worked on Buffy, but I was like, Oh, I was, I was kind of younger when Buffy was on. So I never really got to watch it. I watched like the WB at the time and I would see commercials and stuff, but I was always like, Oh, that's not really like my thing or what have you. And then I saw that he did this show called Firefly. So I went back and watched that. Then I watched Dollhouse. Then of course got into some more stuff. And then I started looking into some other stuff that he had, sort of his his fingerprints on Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. And, you know, I mean, even uh, I, Liam, I think we talked recently on a different show and like he's even credited as one of the writers on the first Toy Story movie and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. He worked on Roseanne and, and all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, I, I really started to get into him and and just his writing because I, I, I personally, I like his his writing style or the writing style that he developed through doing those shows, because of course it wasn't just him. There were many other names that wrote on all of those shows and a lot of the influence of him and some of the other writers continued into other things. You, you know, you see uh, a lot of those names continued on to other things, even the rebooted Battlestar Galactica, like I talked about in some of the later seasons, Jane Espenson, who was a very big writer under Joss Whedon, kind of worked her way up through the, through Buffy and Angel, is now like she was an executive producer on that. And she's, you know, been a showrunner in her own right now. Um, Marty Noxon, who was a, a writer for, for Joss Whedon stuff, she's gone on to do other things, Tim Minear, so on and so forth, so much so that uh, some of them even went on to do like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which of course we're covering on the MCU and Me podcast that we do. And you know what I mean? Like there's there's just been so much that not just him, but even actor-wise, uh, I spoke about this on, on another secret project coming out soon, um, How I Met Your Mother, which has Allison Hannigan, if you watch that, there's a crap ton of Joss Whedon references and actors and all sorts of stuff because it's Allison Hannigan and the two guys who wrote that show went to the same university as Joss Whedon and they're fans of his and <laughs> so on and so forth. Wow. But as I started getting into him a little bit more, and, and Kiona, maybe you can kind of talk about this as well from your perspective, sure. but there was a lot of... Um, kind of rumors about certain things regarding him that maybe him and the actress Emma Caulfield didn't get along. There were rumors that he, um, you know, fired Charisma Carpenter and, uh, you know, that he wasn't so nice to her kind of towards her ending of being in the Buffy verse. And, you know, um, even there were things where so much 
of things that weren't said. You know, a lot of times, like, why didn't Sarah Michelle Gellar talk about about Joss Whedon a lot like the other actors would, you know, and, and a lot like basically she was one of the few people that didn't seem to work with him more than once. And people kind of questioned that. And there were a lot of these rumors and things. And then, you know, with the whole Justice League uh, ordeal, which I, I have to admit, I and, and Liam, I think we spoke about this maybe off mic uh, recently on another recording. I haven't seen either of the Justice League films, so I don't really know how his version compared to the Zack Snyder version or what have you. But I know I've heard a lot of the things and then, you know, Whedon did an interview recently and whatever. So a long time ago, I sort of as terrible as it may sound, I had to sort of separate the art from the artist because a lot of political beliefs, we have differences, a lot of things that he's said about whether it be, you know, political things or religious things or what have you. I kind of put it in my head of, I can like his work, but I may not necessarily have to like him as a person. Mm -hmm. And then um, even when, when everything, you know, came out about Joss Whedon a few years ago, a, a very good friend of mine who actually watched Buffy upon my recommendation sent me a thing where it's like, no, you can still be a fan of the work of an artist and still, again, I, I hesitate to use the word demonize, but I'll use it in this context, basically demonize the artist and know that they may not be the best person, but they can still put out good work. And I know, again, I'll use the wrestling example of Chris Benoit. Sometimes mm. I hesitate to watch a Chris, you know, if I'm watching something older, it's it's a little difficult for me to see him in things, knowing what he did to his family and himself and what have you. But I also can admit, if someone asks me, I think you know, in terms of entertaining people and and as a performance artist, because really that's what wrestling is, he was a fantastic performance artist. Does that erase what he did at the end of his life? Absolutely not. Should he, you know, the the talk is always should he be in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely not. He should not be, you know, praised as this great, you know, whatever, because then that seemingly erases the terrible thing that happened. But if you go back, I, my my friend Zach can watch stuff no problem because he's easily able to separate that. I, I have a little bit of hesitation when it comes to to things, and it's a very fine line. And again, it, I guess it depends on who you are and what connection you have with certain things and and what have you. But it becomes a, a fine line as to sort of what you accept and what you don't with regards to again whether we want to call it cancel culture or you know the seedy underbelly of of things because like Liam even said and I realize right now that I've talked way more and gone off about on about three different topics now but like Liam said before you know there's not any you know there's really not anybody in Hollywood that hasn't done something you know uh, you hear some the, the way that Kevin Smith sort of dances around certain uh, older Ben Affleck stories and it appears that he wasn't always, you know, the, I mean, even when his his marriage was falling apart, which, of course, is a terrible thing. But there were all these comments about how, you know, his drinking and things like that. And you hear some old Kevin Smith stories and, you know, Affleck was something of a of a player. And, you know, he used to be able to open People magazine and be like, I slept with her and I slept with her and I slept with her and, you know, all of these things. And. But he was, you know, he was a guy and it was that time. And those aren't excuses, but that's what they were. 
but do people necessarily demonize him now? You know, and that's sort of that James Gunn thing of it was so many years ago. Is it possible he's learned? Yes, but should we still, you know, sort of go after the person now? And I've said a lot, and I'm I'm gonna kick it over to to Kiona because I I said a lot, and I feel like you have a lot to say about what I just said. <laughs> well, I I kind of want to do something a little bit different here and go with the the Chris Benoit uh, wrestling angle because first because um. And I want to hear Liam's thought on this too. Uh, you know, for me personally, I had stopped watching wrestling in the late '90s, maybe early 2000. So I actually was gone for a good maybe 18 years before I actually started watching wrestling again. So in like 2018, I started to watch again, um, and it was on lunch break in like the Starbucks that I worked. I just all of a sudden was like, "Oh, dude, let me just watch this." this AEW thing, like, what is this all about? And um, it sort of got me back into wrestling. And um, and then, you know, I saw the, the Dark Side of the Ring episode about Chris Benoit and what happened there. And, of course, that was devastating. I mean, I, I literally had tears in my eyes watching that. I was just, like, so, like, you know, because I didn't know what happened with him. And everybody was, like, dancing around Chris Benoit. They were, like, we don't talk about him. And I was just like, wow, you know, what must have occurred? And so I didn't know. So when I found out that that happened, and I had always respected him as a performer, as a, as a wrestler. Um, in fact, I would even go so far as to say I, I actually, he was one of my favorite wrestlers when I watched him back in the day. Hey everyone, it's James, recurring guest on Paul and All. Just taking the time out here to let you know about a special bonus episode of Paul and All available right now on Content Club. In it, Paul and I discuss a failed pilot, How I Met Your Dad. We were prepared for How I Met Your Father. Yes, there are two different shows. This episode will never be released in the main feed, so go check it out right now at Content Club, only at patreon.com forward slash clock shelves. Thank you. Um... And so learning that that happened and learning about it through the Dark Side of the Ring episode and through like just reading up on it, it just it was devastating to me. Um, I think that for for me personally, I can still watch his matches, but it it does always kind of bring up that that uh, not memory so much as idea of like you know, he just did something so horrific and so tragic and horrible. I, I have very complicated feelings about it. So yeah, Liam, what's your, what's your take on that? Uh, well, I, when I was thinking about it, I was almost, I mean, I don't watch, I I, I don't really watch, you know, wrestling, but when mm. I was thinking about it, I, you could almost kind of, uh, I, I I could almost kind of see viewing it as like a TV show, mm-hmm. uh, because I mean he wasn't like a creator of wrestling. He wasn't you know a writer or something. He was he was just a participant, mm-hmm. right? So I would view it like a TV show. If you got you know seven seasons of a TV show and there's a guest star on one of the episodes and that and you know that episode, I mean that guest star does like bad things. I mean, do you not watch the entirety of the TV show now, or do you maybe fast forward his scene, or maybe fast forward, fast forward his episode? How much of a, how much of a key component is? Well, so 
I mean, I actually, I really like that concept, and that is sort of how it's a weird thing in America, and I think we can all agree, uh, two of us being wrestling fans and one of us not being a wrestling fan. But Liam, not just me, but like I know you're friends with like our friend Kevin, who's also a wrestling fan, things like that. So, uh, you know, but it's a weird thing in America. America has a weird relationship with wrestling. Like our, we have friends from England, and they're just like, yeah, and they treat it just like any other TV show. But here in America, it's a weird thing where it's like, oh, you like that wrestling stuff. You know that's all fake, right? And I'm just like, yeah, so is The Godfather but you like that um you know what i mean and like but people it's a weird thing people can't separate it you know and mm-hmm. i was a, a friend a guy from work and i we were just explaining to one of the girls from work sort of how they do stuff and i said if you watch a lot of times it's just they stamp their foot on the mat and that's really what makes a lot of the sound mm-hmm. because if you got into a legitimate fight like that you know yeah you'd be bruised and bloodied and whatever MMA being, you know, UFC being that example. You know what I mean? Like, that's real. Are they great athletes in professional wrestling? Absolutely. Like, 100%. I'm not taking away. Are they they tough? Absolutely. I wouldn't want to face one of them in a bar. But are they really fighting? No, they are not. It's not ballet. That's like the typical wrestling thing. You know, it ain't ballet. But it's not, it's also not legitimate fighting either. Now, all of that said, one of the biggest issues, so I was, I was actually get slowly getting out of wrestling at that same time, mm-hmm. um, that, that all the, the Chris Benoit stuff happened. I had probably slowly started pulling away from it maybe a year prior, right around actually six months to a year prior, right around the death of Eddie Guerrero, who's a very good friend of Chris Benoit. Yeah. And he, to this day, is praised as one of the best yeah. because he passed away. He had he had some drug issues, things like that. And then he got himself clean, but his heart couldn't necessarily keep up. And that's really what sort of caused his death. And, and that put in a lot of uh, protocols for what WWE calls their wellness program now and things like that. And then I think it was like six months to a year or so later, everything happened with Chris Benoit. And if you're not aware of what we're talking about, I would not necessarily suggest you read up on it or, you know, maybe watch the Dark Side of the Ring episode. But really just an incredibly brief summary is he had a lot of head trauma and I'm not making an excuse for what he did, but it is just legitimately what happened. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of head trauma. They used to do, you know, chair shots to the head, which they haven't done in many years now. He used to do a move where he would fall off the top rope basically and knock his head either into his opponent or into, you know, onto the, the mat, which again, head trauma, not good. Um, and I believe somebody commented upon doing like an autopsy that his brain was basically the equivalent of a 70 or 80 something year old Alzheimer's patient. Like there was so there was a lot of damage to his brain. But and again, just a very quick summary. He gruesomely uh, I don't remember the exact order, but over the course of about a weekend, he murdered his young son, who I think like under 10 years old was his his son. um, And he murdered his wife and then he committed suicide. And it's it's a very I mean, it's a very gruesome story. If you want more details. I hesitate to, again, I hesitate to say, go look into it. But if you want more details, you can absolutely go find that. It has its own Wikipedia article, but that's really sort of the the basic points is that he had some head trauma. Unfortunately, you know, the, the, it took over, I would pretty much say. And, uh, you know, 
he uh, he then murdered his young son, his wife, and then uh, committed suicide. Um, but to to your point, Liam, with the whole it is a TV show, and I and I agree with that. The problem is for a lot of things with WWE, and I mean. AEW that Keona was talking about is still a little on the newer side, so Mm -hmm. it'll remain to be seen how that goes. But with WWE, as much as you know WWE, if you're a fan of them, you also know some of their people. Like, people know Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. They know The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, John Cena, Roman Reigns, things like that. And at the time, two of the bigger stars were Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. Mm -hmm. So much so that at WrestleMania 20, I believe, which was, you know, the, the, I mean, anytime you have a, a five or a zero numbered uh, thing, it's always the big thing, right? Because it's the, it's, it's an anniversary that someone cares about, it's huge. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, yeah. And I believe it was WrestleMania 20 ended with both Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, each holding the two world titles in the ring and confetti coming down and all of those things. And I believe they were in Madison Square Garden and all this. And now WWE can't can't go over that or they won't go over that because they've decided to basically scrub him from history. He was one of their like I said, he was one of their world champions. They don't talk about it. There are certain things. And yes, again, I understand as I'm speaking about this, it sounds like I'm doing the whole, you know, it's still real. But when they try to present it, whether it's fictional or real or what have you, they have their way of presenting their product. Mm-hmm. And when you have a, a, a match type like the Royal Rumble, which is basically a combination of 30 people and you have to eliminate you know, so many people and, and what have you, and there's been, I think, two people who have started at spot number one and made it all the way up to to number 30 and and won the thing. And Chris Benoit is one of those people. It becomes difficult to talk about that sort of, um, that's that feat. Do you know what I mean? Because there's only two and they, they'll gladly talk about the one he's still involved in the company, but they, they, they can't really say the other one in video games. There was a, there was a thing in one of the video games, I believe where it was, Hey, play the, the, the story of all of these things. And one of the WrestleManias where there was uh, Chris Benoit was in the match. They basically just skip right over it because, Oh, well, we don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. And so as much as I agree with you, Liam, you just, you know, you don't necessarily, it's, it's similar to, um, I mean, I know you said Liam about the fact that it's a, a character and not a writer or something who's there for the entire thing, but it's difficult with some of the way that they present wrestling where you know, if if you win all of the titles, you're you know, you're a Grand Slam or a triple crap like they do in regular sports, mm-hmm. you know, a Grand Slam winner and, and what have you. It's very difficult to talk about those things and say that it's such a prestigious thing because only a few have done it when one of the few that's done it is somebody that you don't talk about. And, you know, these major moments, like I said, WrestleMania 20, it's a big anniversary show. They should be able to show it on all the things. Look at, you know, the the spectacle. And, and again, the, this two shot of these two friends who came up and were told they would never be, you know, world champions because they were too small and, and all of these things. And they're standing there in Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena, both holding a championship and confetti's raining down. And they just cannot will not show that footage that becomes the difficult thing 
for on from their perspective, not even necessarily from us as fans, but it's just like, damn, I wish we could see that because it was a great moment. Like when you're like, if you were, what, no matter what degree of you think it's real or it's not real, or it's just a TV show or what have you, that's a great moment. These two friends who traveled the world. And like I said, all of those things, they were told they would never make it. They were too small, you know, whatever. And then they, they, they made it. They conquered the mountain and we, you know, quote unquote, can't talk about that now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that whole thing is just tragic, man. I just, uh, I, yeah, like I said, I have, I have complicated feelings about it, but, um, in terms of Benoit himself, um, yeah, I guess for me, it's, it's, I just still, because I had that time removed away from it, I just, I, away from wrestling, I sort of just am able to, to still look at his matches as, you know, for what they were, which were, you know, basically good performances from someone who was, who was a a good technical wrestler, um, but who just did something horrific. And, uh, and, you know, yeah, I, I just look at that dark side of the ring episode and it just, it just moves me. So moves me to tears. Uh, for what happened. So uh, that's all I really have to say on that subject. But anyway, uh, let's I, move on. I think, well, something else I think is interesting about it is it's not it's not something he was doing. It's something he did. So like during, you know, during whatever episode or match he's on, it's not like that was a problem. It's not. It's not like somebody who's out there you know, you know, harassing people or abusing children or something, and then going back and doing stand-up comedy or something, and you know, like no one was like, oh. I will, I, I will give you that. I will also say, and as somebody who was sort of watching when he was, like I said, sort of climbing that mountain and becoming, you know, towards, you know, near being able to be the world champion and and all of these things. When you when you go back and watch some of those those things. And you see where he, again, where he got hit in the head with a chair or he, Mm -hmm. you know, did the, the diving headbutt or whatever. There is a small part of me that every time, and it's, it's so horrible. I can't, I'm like, I know how horrible it is even before I say it, but there's a part of me that looks and goes, was that the one? Was Mm -hmm. that the shot there that sort of pushed everything over the edge? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. You know, I do, I do, I do agree with you though, Liam. It's not like, it's not like, like so you, like you said about stand-up comedy and I'll, I'll switch it here to like a Louis CK who I, I watched the show Louis. I thought it was funny. I, I know there was a woman that I used to work with and her and I it, separately, we got into the show at about the same time. And she would tell me, you know, that her and her husband were watching it. And I started watching it, like I said, around the same time. I had never really seen his stand up or anything like that. I just was sort of looking for a new show to watch. And it was one of the first things that popped up. And I was like, this is really funny. And it was something that I feel like hadn't really been done on TV where it was just him doing like these weird comedy segments, but you know, stretching them out to be like a full episode. And, and then he did certain things where he would show, you know, portions of stand up, whether it was stuff he wrote or, you know, original material for the show or what have you. And, and, um, I also, it's just a quick aside, but I, I like the show, um, 
comedians in cars getting coffee, comedians, whatever that show is with, with Jerry Seinfeld. And there were times that Louis would feel similarly where he would have comics, like actual other stand-up comics on there. And they would sort of talk about the stand-up comedy world. And then to find out that he was, he being Louis CK was, was, you know, exposing himself to women or, you know, masturbating in front of them, you know, and all of these things. Mm. And it's, it just is, it's weird. And then to think, and again, should he be able to go back to comedy? That's not for me to say. I don't think that's for anyone to say, because if he has an audience and they, they want to pay to see him do that, that's not for me to say, no, you can't, you know what I mean? That's it's, it's a freedom thing in my opinion, but would I necessarily pay to see him do stand-up comedy? Not necessarily, because it's a little gross. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if you, if either of you have a particular opinion on him. I know even Sarah Silverman, who, you know, uh, female comedian in her own right, and I believe she was on his show a few times and things like that, she even said she didn't necessarily see an issue, well... I don't remember exactly how she said it, so I don't want to put words into her mouth, but it was basically something along the lines of uh, not necessarily seeing an issue because he asked permission Mm. to do that in front of these women. Now, do I think that makes it okay? No, not at all. But the fact that she was like, and and I know even the, the woman that I worked with said that she's like, well, yeah, but he at least asked, and then the women said, I guess, or they said, yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, but they felt pressured because either he or his manager basically said, if you don't allow this to happen, we will blacklist you from comedy. That's not, that's okay. On a technicality, it's not, or it is consent, but it's not cooperation, which is really what you should look for in a situation like that. You know what I mean? In in any sort of sexual anything, it's not just consent. It's cooperation is the thing that you should be looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, Paul. I, I think I haven't seen Louis uh, and I haven't seen any of his stand up or anything like that. So I, I really don't have much of an opinion as to the quality of it. But I think that um, just based on, you know, what you said that 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 he did or what he's been alleged to have done. Um, I, I couldn't see myself supporting future endeavors by him. Yeah. I think the difference with him, and this is something that we're probably going to talk about more is that, I mean, not the, not the difference with him specifically, but like, I guess with stand up, you know, it's, it's really just him. It's him on the stage talking you know you take a you take an actor like kevin spacey and you you look at a film there's so many more people involved in that you know it's not it's not a kevin spacey vehicle it's whoever the director is whoever the writers are his co-stars you know the you know the people making minimum wage holding the lights up or whatever so i feel like i can live in that level of disconnect that like well i'm not and, and 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 even like now, what I would I would get someone saying like I'm not going to see this opening day, I'm not going to pay for it, but mm-hmm. if I want to, 
you know, if, if I want to borrow the DVD copy from my friend or check it out on Netflix, I'm not supporting, I'm not supporting this, but I'm still, I, I you know, I, I get that too. I get that as well. Mm-hmm. Sure. So with that being said, so, I mean, like Liam, you're a, you're a fan of the, the X-Men films. Yeah. So, and I'm not just saying, and I'm not, I'm trying not to say this in an accusatory way. So please forgive me. But like, so it's, there is a disconnect is what you're saying. So if somebody was like, Oh, how could you watch those X-Men films? Cause they were made by Brian Singer and he did X, Y, Z. It's like you said, there are other people that worked on those, those films. Yeah. And so realistically, why should they have to pay for what he did? Yeah. And, and also it's, uh, let's say let's look at like Mel Gibson. He said some anti-Semitic things, right? He's in the movie Signs. Uh, there's not anti-Semitic messages in Signs. He's not, you know, me watching Signs doesn't mean I support the things he said, or doesn't mean I support the, or, or doesn't mean I support him because he, the messages that he says aren't in those. You know, are in that movie. I I very much agree with that, and that is, like I said, that is something that I feel like a lot of people don't. That is that. I mean, that right there is the the definition, I guess, of separating the art from the artist, right? It's, I like I. I mean, Liam, you know, we talked about this a bunch on Lost with Friends. I didn't really like the character of Jack, the main character of the show. And I wasn't really that big on certain things that were, you know, alleged against Matthew Fox, the actor that played him, but it did not take away from me enjoying the show and even his performance sometimes, you know, like there were, I mean, there were times where, you know, I would even say, I'm like, I'm not a fan of, of him or this character, but I really liked this moment or I really liked this interaction or, or what have you, because I was able to separate. Now I know a few years ago, um, and maybe he, maybe he's, you know, retracted the statement or whatever, but like, again, I'll, I'll use, I'll say Ben Affleck. He made the comment that when he sees a Republican in a film it immediately takes him out of it because he can't necessarily separate the the fact that someone leans one way politically from being able to watch the film. I'm not a I'm not a fan of that. Like I said, if that were the case, I wouldn't be able to watch anything that Joss Whedon wrote because of his you know extremely different views on a lot of things from from my own or you know a, a great many things I wouldn't be able to watch if I was just like, well, I don't like that person's political leanings or or what have you because like you said Liam it's not if you if there was a movie where Mel Gibson the man who said anti-semitic remarks was playing a character who said anti-semitic things and he was like the hero of the movie I'd be like yeah you know what I'm not going to support that movie but mm-hmm. am I not going to watch uh uh you know like just like like you said like signs or or what what I want to say yeah, Lethal Weapon. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, am I not going to watch, like, something like that just because, like, oh, well, he, you know, Riggs actually did go crazy. You know what I mean? Like, am I going to am I gonna suddenly just be like, nope, can't watch that? That's the problem I have. And I feel like um, that's sort of what happened with the, the James Gunn thing was he said things, and I think even in his sort of apology for it, he said, you know, like, I'm, I, there were times where I was present, basically presenting myself as a provocateur, 
and he did. If 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 people were, and I'm sure you guys, you know, were aware of him before, you know, quote unquote, the mainstream was, because mm-hmm. you guys are very well versed in a lot of more. I don't want to say like super indie, but a lot more, you know, maybe slightly below mainstream stuff. Like, you know, he was big into like the trauma films, you know, I'm sure we've all seen some of those, those old trauma films, not just toxic Avenger, but he was very big into those. He did, um, the movie super, super. Um, yeah. he did slither. Like he did a lot of things with, you know, known people, but he wasn't necessarily like the guardians of the galaxy guy just yet. No, and, definitely not. You know what I mean? Like what's that? Definitely not. No, but you know what I mean? And like he, and if you followed him like on social media or what have you, he definitely did things where he's just like, and maybe it's because he didn't think he would sort of ever get to that spot or, or what have you, but he was very much comfortable with, this is what I do. And I'm going to maybe try to, to, you know, poke, poke the bear when it comes to certain things and, and maybe making fun of certain, you know, groups of people or what have you, because he liked to do that for, for good or for ill, you know, what have you. But that's what he did was he would, you know, he had opinions and he said them on his social media platform. It just so happens that later on he became a public figure the more public figure than he already was a higher profile public figure working for one of the biggest corporations in the world mm-hmm. and their standards, you know, well in TV it's standards and practices, but basically their, their morality police for lack of a better phrase said, we don't know if we could be associated with you because you said X, Y, and Z 10 years ago. I don't know about the two of you, I, sh- I mean, Liam, you knew me uh, several years ago, and I actually had some some disagreements with some of our friends because of certain things that I said. Now, we have since talked those out. We are definitely on much better terms, and I have grown as a person, and they have grown as people as well. We don't all hold the same beliefs that we did necessarily 10 years ago, and I would like to think that people can grow and change even from day to day, let alone 10 or more or less years ago. Yeah. I think it's important to have that in your life, and I think it's important to, to, to have people in your life that are willing to call you on your on your stuff that you believe and think and that challenge you a little bit. And I think that um, when it comes to James Gunn, I wasn't too, you know, aware of his like really like real indie indie films, but I was aware of like Slither and Super and and um, and, you know, I saw Super and thought it was weird, but kind of cool at the same time, but very strange. Um, but, you know, that's kind of his thing. That's that's his deal. Um, when he did Guardians of the Galaxy, it was just a more mainstream version of that. And now that he's done like Peacemaker and, Su- and, and the Suicide Squad with the the. Um, it's, (laughs) it, you know, it seems to be like for DC and Warner Brothers are allowing him to kind of be more that old school James Gunn, whereas Marvel and Disney are kind of more like, no, you're going to be the more mainstream family friendly version of yourself. Um, which, you know, I, I like both James Gunn's. I, I like both versions of him. So in terms of what he does, and I think 
I think that for me, you know, in terms of like, can a person change? Can a person grow over time? Absolutely. Um, I, I don't think any of us are the same people that we were, you know, a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. I think that there's, there's just, you know, we evolve on our own and through like experiences and that sort of thing. So I think that what he did in terms of his apology and everything and just him getting a, a second chance, um, I think he kind of, you know, I, I think that he, he earned it. Um, I think that, yeah, based on his work, I, I think it's going well for him. So, well, it's, it's funny you say that. And I mean, and I, I agree with that. Um, and maybe that's sort of the thing with like a Chris Benoit where he never necessarily got the chance yeah. to, you know, sort of come out the other side. And even now, like the fact that like Joss Whedon, I said, and the, so the really funny thing the, the two things I wanted to say about that were um, when James Gunn did the first Guardians of the Galaxy, Joss Whedon was still, of course, involved with the Marvel stuff he was getting ready to do. um Avengers 2. Yeah. And they were like they knew each other. They you know because they they both like Nathan Fillion in common and a lot of you know, yeah. a lot of the same sort of actors and really a lot of similarities with like their their humor and their writing style and things like that. Oh yeah. And there's there's a story. I think it was James Gunn's story where he said that um he wrote like the first or second draft of Guardians and because you know Kevin Feige looks at it, and 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 Joss Whedon being sort of the the other, I don't I has I don't want to say he was like the head of it, but because he was helping to oversee things, mm -hmm. you know, for the connectivity of the films, he got to look at it, and I guess he made the comment to James Gunn, like, you realize they hired James Gunn, not you know, so like you need to make this a James Gunn movie, not just a movie, and basically that was his way of saying, you know, sort of put your own you know, humor in it and put the, mu you know, and of course, James Gunn, very well known for like his musical choices, things mm -hmm. like that. And Joss Whedon like encouraged him, like, you know, go ahead and, and, you know, put that stuff in there, like be yourself, do what they need you to do, but be yourself about it too. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing I, if I could find it here, um, that I wanted to say was you said about how, uh, he sort of uh, kind of went away for a little while, mm -hmm. right? And just, I believe it was with regards to Louis C.K., where, um, um, uh, let me see if I could find it here. I'm looking at something on, on Wikipedia right now, mm -hmm. uh, because he did, um, he Louis C.K. did kind of acknowledge, you know, yes, um, I did do, you know, those, I, I did do those sexual things and whatnot. And, um, but uh, if I could find it, there's a, there's a comment where Jerry Seinfeld, I believe it was about, oh, here it is. Uh, so with regards to Louis CK, a bunch of people, um, so when he returned to stand up comedy and this is, it's, it's also a weird thing, right? Because there are a lot of people, like I said, I hesitate to be like, yeah, would I, would I watch something from Louis CK? Maybe not, but would I watch something from James Gunn? Yes. And again, I think it could be like a case by case basis sort of thing. And there are a lot of comedians that, that said that he, you know, they supported his decision 
to continue stand up. And there's a lot like Dave Chappelle, Jim Gaffigan, Janine Garofalo, um, Joe Rogan, Marlon Wayans. And there's a there's a particular section here where it says comedian Jerry Seinfeld also supported CK's return to stand up, but opined that the public may have felt that CK had not owned up to his actions enough saying in October 2018, quote, we know the routine, the person does something wrong, the person's humiliated, they're exiled, they suffer, we want them to suffer, we love the tumble, we love the crash and bang of the fall, and then we love the crawl back, the grovel. Are you going to grovel? How long are you going to grovel? Seinfeld <laughs> added, we, the court of public opinion, decided if he's going to come back, he'd better show a lot of pain because he denied the public that unquote. And I really, and I think we can use any of these and we can plug those quotes in very easily. Like I said, we didn't get to see that with Chris Benoit. We still have yet to see that with Joss Whedon because he did an article for yeah. uh, New York, not New York magazine, but something recently where he was just like, he ought, he turned on, you know, for a very long time, for pretty much his entire career, he was like, oh, my mother was was an influential woman and, and she taught me about feminism. And then in that article, he was just like, maybe my mom wasn't so great. And he said about the woman who played uh, Gal Gadot. Godot? Yeah, Gal Gadot. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, he said, well, she's, you know, English isn't her first language, so maybe she just didn't understand what I was saying. And oh, Charisma Carpenter geez. was like, she speaks three languages. I'm pretty sure she understands uh, threats in any language. Yeah. You know, that was and a like, really stupid thing for him to say. Yeah. And like, he didn't, you know, he didn't grovel realistically. I think he just thought, well, I'll kind of go away for a little while and then everyone will just welcome me back because I'm Joss Whedon, you know, witty dialogue guy and, <laughs> and what have you. And it just didn't happen. Yeah. And, you know, like even Mel Gibson, he said all of those anti-Semitic things. He made a few films and then he did. What did he say? All of those things before or after Passion of the Christ. I really oh, don't. Geez, remember. I don't even remember. Um, uh, but he he did like some they I feel like they were near each other or something. He did. He, I, but then he did a few. Then then like he he still didn't do like a lot of mainstream things and then suddenly boom he was back out there mm -hmm. and he was still working it's a it's another well i mean realistically another example of of this sort of thing is roman polanski right like yeah. he's been exiled from the u.s for how long and people still work with him Hey there, folks, just taking another break to remind you to check out our social media pages. We're trying to grow those, and we're wondering what you want to see more from us. Uh, you can let us know your feedback on our shows. You can let us know uh, feedback on just about anything, really, over on our social medias. You can make requests for various guests that you want to maybe return to certain shows, or you can give us topics um, you can check out all of that and you can even find pretty much across the various platforms, the people that have been on, uh, our shows. Cause we, 
follow them and are followed by them pretty much everywhere. Uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, we are Clock Shelves. Of course, that's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. We are trying to grow our social media presence, as I said. So um, in addition to us trying to post as often as we uh, post new content for you, uh, we're also trying to make everyone else aware of our social media. So make sure you go give us a follow, maybe even uh, share us sometimes, you know, when we post new stuff. It's at Clock Shelves. That's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook like major people who say that they're against all of those things that he did and they work with him because, well, he's Roman Polanski and his films will win awards and, and all of that. But it's a weird thing. You know, again, not, I'm not even trying to get into like a whole cancel culture sort of thing here, but just separating the art from the artist. And if your projects will get critical acclaim or get awards or what have you, Mm -hmm. then people will work with you again. And going to what Liam said before, you know, uh, about like when he, you know, he mentioned, he's commented about the Chris Benoit thing where uh, he's just a character or he said about like, you know, Brian Singer and there are other people. This whole theory of we cancel someone and then, you know, we, we shouldn't watch anything they're involved with. How many movies can we not watch now because Harvey Weinstein was somehow, some way involved with them? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I, I think um, I think it's like you said, I think it's on a case-by-case basis. And I, I do think that it really depends on how the individual responds to you know, how they, how they apologize, how they present themselves. Um, I, I just, I, I find the whole thing very complicated for me personally, because I feel like I am able to separate the art from the artist in a lot of ways, but there are, there are definitely some things where I'm like, you know what, you should be held more accountable for that. And I don't know if I can support you going forward, um, you know, to the, to the, to the individual, I would say that, or to like, in terms of their work, I would say that. Um, but for me, like, I, I want to give Liam a chance to, to, to speak before I get into the whole Joss Whedon thing, because I have a lot to say on that. But yeah, Liam, go ahead. Uh, something I was something I was thinking about. You kind of have to start looking at like, the larger picture as well. Because if if you're gonna say something like, oh, uh, Kevin Spacey did X Y Z, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna support his films. I'm not gonna watch his stuff. There's a little bit of hypocrisy there if you're gonna watch any movies at all. Because Hollywood, Hollywood itself is almost the problem. Like Hollywood is yeah. supporting and allowing these behavior behaviors, and I mean not just the people like Harvey Weinstein that we know about, the people that we don't know about that are still acting and working today, the people that, you know, the people that we consider Hollywood treasures, you know, you could take someone, you could take Tom Hanks and he he could be up to stuff for all we know. And it it just seems a little hypocritical to me. Uh, Well, that's when you take a lot, when you draw a line here, 
ignoring the whole, whole picture. That's that whole uh, how many of your favorite celebrities or, uh, you know, owners of, of major corporations and whatever were friendly with that. What's his name? Epstein. Yeah. You know, a lot of your a lot of your favorite politicians, a lot of your your yeah. celebrities and all of these things were friends with him and would visit his that, you know, his island and whatnot. And what was going on there? Question mark, question mark. You know what I mean? But for whatever reason, like I said, it's it's and I, I agree with you, Liam, like there's there's a lot of things like I said, uh, everybody will will say all of these things about about Roman Polanski or just about, uh, you know, going after, uh, you know, we, we, we demonize and rightfully so in this case, you know, what R Kelly allegedly did, you know, and, oh, he's horrible. How could he do that? And, and so on and so forth. But again, I'll, I'll say like Polanski did the same thing, admitted to it and then fled and you know what I mean? Like all of the, and, and there's a, I found a thing, um, on, on Facebook a while back where it talked about how not to, I mean, not that I necessarily want to get into a whole thing about like going after children and whatnot, but like when Elvis started dating, quote unquote dating, uh, Priscilla, she was like 13. He was like 30. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's all these, um, um, the, was it the Marvin Gaye song? Let's get it on is about like a 14 year old girl. Cause he basically quote unquote fell in love with this young girl and had, I think it was her. I think it was that story where uh, he had someone bring her up to his hotel room. And the only reason that nothing went further was because her father burst in the room. Um, there was that story just a few years ago, the guy from lost um, who basically the guy who, uh, the one who played Horace, on Lost, he was also in the X Files. He was in the Green Mile. Oh, I think. Hmm. No, who's the guy I'm thinking of? What's the guy? I don't, what movie was he? Because uh, I can't think of his name. I don't know. I don't think What's I ever got that far in Lost. Uh, I can't think of his name. All, all I'm thinking of is uh, Eugene Toomes. That's the. the X- this is yeah on on the X Files yeah that's all I'm thinking oh about. really yeah he uh, he was like 51 and he married this girl who was like 16 or 17 and I mean basically he had to get her parents to sign over papers where she he was basically adopting her and marrying her at the same time because she was underage hmm. and I mean even uh like you know, Drake with the whole Millie Bobby Brown thing, the girl from stranger things where he was like, Oh, we're just friends. And it was this thing I found on Facebook was this whole thing of where all these guys say that they're, they play the just friends card until suddenly these girls are 18 and it's like, Oh yeah, well, you know, everyone knew wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but they're like 20 late twenties, early thirties. And then they're, you know, but they've been with these underage girls, but because they're almost 18, it's okay. Or because they look older than their age, mm-hmm. it's okay. And it's like, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. No. And that's just another thing, like Liam said, where it's just, 
Hollywood has and, and the entertainment industry has always done this. But now in this age of social media and being able to go back like the 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 for better or worse, the the army did on Twitter with like the James Gunn thing and find these tweets that were, you know, 10 or more years old and suddenly say, look, he's not so great because he said X, Y, Z. And it's, you know, it's people coming out and saying this was done to me or so-and-so, you know, like I said, like, you know, the people from, from Buffy or whatever saying, I was treated terribly, you know, and, and I was verbally abused and all of those things. Mm -hmm. That's, that's rightfully so, you know, mm -hmm. like that's, I think, you know, kudos for being able to, to, to face what you know is unfortunately going to be public scrutiny for, well, why didn't you say anything sooner? And, yeah. you know, those people have their, you know, the, the, the people who did the wrong have their defenders Yep. You know, so you're you know that they're going to be on your case, but, you know, you still decided after whatever length of time I need to I need to say this. I need to get out and say this happened to me so that it may not happen to someone else. I think that's a fantastic thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Same here. Yeah. Now to go back and say, well, such and so and so tweeted this. That's a little far for me. And that's but again, like we said, it's a case by case sort of thing. Mm hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's a, that's my opinion on that. You know, Kevin Spacey was accused by the guy. Is it the guy from rent? Right. Is that who was the one who sort of brought all that to, to light? The guy who's in the, the new star Trek series. I believe so. Yeah. And absolutely. He should have, he should have said those things. And the fact that Kevin Spacey, you know, they are like, well, we got to do an investigation and, yeah. and all of these things. Yes. Absolutely. But should someone say, well, I'm never going to watch anything that Kevin Spacey ever did again? No, because like Liam said earlier, there are a lot of other people that worked on those projects and they probably, uh, I don't want to say they depend on some of those residual checks, but it probably doesn't, it doesn't hurt doesn't that hurt. they get those residual yeah, checks. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. true. I did want to ask Liam, you, you named a few people earlier and there was, there was a few, like you said, Brian Singer, um, you said Kevin Spacey. There was one that you said that I did. There was a name that I didn't recognize. Yes, it was, uh, Victor Salva, which his, his situation is a little different, which I just makes it interesting. And it's, I just, I just connected the dots. It's kind of relevant now because uh, of a movie coming out this year. Uh, you know, the Jeepers Creepers movies. Oh, and okay. So, apparently, like, back in the 80s, or, like, I think, like, I think late 80s, he, he got in trouble for doing some, you know, child stuff, basically, and, and he went to jail. And, when he got out of jail, he resumed directing, and he directed the Jeepers Creepers 1 and Jeepers Creepers 2, and they became, you know, kind of these cult classic movies. And the internet just wasn't a thing at the time, so people weren't as aware of what he had done. And then uh, in 2017, he made uh, Jeepers Creepers 3, and 
and when that happened, there was this, this kind of, you know, backlash against him, you know, don't, you know, don't watch this movie. Don't go, don't go see this movie because of all the, you know, the stuff he had done. But, you know, that was that was way back and he had already went to jail for that. And, you know, maybe he changed, you know, you could give him the benefit of the doubt and assume he changed. But no one really knows. But it's just it's so different because it's like, well, no, you were fine with this. You know, you were fine with this with Jeepers Creepers one and two. And now it's relevant today because they're making a, a new Jeepers Creepers movie coming out this year just without him involved in it at all. No, wait, wait, wait. When you say pe- when you say they were fine with it, how, did people know? Well, no, they didn't know. That's why they were fine with it. But it's just kind of like that. Like you enjoyed that movie back then without knowing that knowledge. You know, I don't think knowing that knowledge really changes anything. If that makes sense. So does, yeah, yeah. they weren't fine with they weren't fine with it back then. That that might not have been the right thing to say. They were they were fine with the movie and and everything. And... I gotcha. I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so when people are now saying, "Oh, we can't support him," but previously they were like, "Well, yeah, he's a fantastic director and and whatnot." Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I've heard that I like now like now that you say that like I knew that the guy who did those movies I never watched those movies but I had heard that the guy that did those movies had something excuse me something up I didn't remember what it was but now that you say that I'm like oh okay yeah 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 but I mean and that's like that's the thing right like again I feel like it kind of all goes back to that Jerry Seinfeld quote where he said, you know, like, we love to watch people fall. We love to watch them grovel. Mm. And, you know, the but the public needs to see that. And certain people don't have that, right? Like, certain people just go away, and then they come back. Like I said, I think Whedon did it, where he went away. Yeah. He at first was like, I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. And then everybody was like, yeah, you definitely did. He took his name off some upcoming projects and things and then went away and then came back and was still just like, yeah, I didn't do anything wrong. Louis C.K. said, I first said, I didn't, I didn't really do anything. And then was like, yes, you know what? I shouldn't deny it. I did those things. I'm very sorry. Then he went away and then just like randomly uh, there was a comedy club where they were just like, Louis C.K. is here to do some new new material. And he just went about as if he hadn't been away. He was doing things um, about the one of the school shootings that was in the the mainstream press at the time and he was doing some sexually related jokes and things like that and everybody was like so he's exactly the same as he was you know a year or two ago doing the exact same jokes that he did like didn't you know did he not learn his lesson and 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 that sort of thing and yeah, it sounds like this director, basically, it was the same thing where it's like, you know, he did he did terrible things and then came out with a new movie. But then people are like, well, wait a minute. Didn't he learn his lesson? Well, OK, what what lesson? Is it just because you didn't see it in the I'm not saying I don't know whether this the, the Victor Salva, I don't know whether he did or didn't learn any lesson or, or anything like that. But like, you know, we didn't see it 
quote unquote. We didn't see him put in the work. We didn't see paparazzi photos of him going to therapy and, you know, sex addiction things and, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous like we did with, you know, I keep, I don't know why I keep going back to him, but like even Ben Affleck, his marriage with Jennifer Garner you know, quote unquote, fell apart. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I have a problem and all these. Things. And then suddenly we would see him going to, you know, c- you know, coming out of or going to Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever. So now that he's like back with JLo and whatnot, everybody's just like, yay, he's better because we like that comeback story. If you don't give us the 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 down to then give us the the chance to say, yay, you're back. We as a, as a public feel cheated. Yeah. In a way. That's terrible to say, but it's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But it's just like I I don't know. I like I said, I've never seen well, so Liam, how do you feel? I mean, is it is it easier for you to separate the art from the artist with those Jeepers Creepers movies? I mean, yeah, uh, I, I still watch them. I, I, you know, I, I still watched the third one because I was very much looking forward to it. I wasn't going to, I don't know. I, I mean, I still, yeah, I, I still watch the movies. And, and I guess it's a little, I guess it is a little easier uh, watching something where the, the person in controversy is the director or the writer than on-screen talent because you're not actually seeing them. But yeah. See, I don't, I've, I don't even want to say I disagree. It's that's, I don't know. I don't know if I would feel that same way. I think it it, it helps. I, th- I think it's a little more too when I don't like, I, I haven't seen anything else he he's done besides the three Jeepers Creepers movies, but I wouldn't say he has a style. I think Josh Whedon definitely has a style Mm-hmm. And it, you know, you can see it. So, like, I know Josh Whedon had. I know Josh Whedon was there because I can. I can tell that it's Josh Whedon. But <laughs> with someone who doesn't have like a style, especially like a writer, you know, maybe a writer doesn't really have a style. I can't think of any writers that are. I mean, besides like Stephen King or something, but I can. I can think of any writers that have like a style. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, yeah, a lot of a lot of times, if if there is like Aaron Sorkin with television, he had a style yeah. of like long dialogue, and and everybody sounded about ten times smarter than people in the real world actually sound. <laughs> but a lot of that also is on the director because they would do the walk and talk. You know what I mean? In a lot of in a lot of things like that, because that was their way, because Sorkin's dialogue was and I mean, yes, he's moved on to directing as well. Mm-hmm. But Sorkin's dialogue was very a lot of exposition, like a lot of exposition all the time. And so instead of just having two characters stand around giving exposition, let's have them walk the halls of the White House or the newsroom or you know, whatever, like the, the, the sports news desk in, in that, the show sports night that he did or what have you. And movie wise, I don't know. I haven't really seen any of the movies that he's done. Nothing really piqued my interest to want to watch them, but he did have like a style, but it did work sort of hand in hand with the director. Just like I could also say 
Tim Burton has a very specific directorial style. Does the writing on his films matter? Yes and no, because you know that at the end of the day, he's just going to direct it and have them say whatever he wants because it's his directorial style versus a writer-director who does both or just a writer who works hand-in-hand with a director, like I just said with, with Sorkin. Whedon tends to direct a lot of his stuff. James Gunn tends to direct a lot of his stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it it is... I, I get what you're saying. It is sort of different because certain writers would tend to work with the same directors over and over again. Or they just don't... Like, like um, David Goyer, who does a lot of DC or just superhero movies in general... I don't know if I would necessarily say he has a style, but he just knows how to do, how to capture comic book movies, I think, very well. But does he have a particular writing style? No. In my opinion, at least. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, okay, should I jump into my Whedon story now? <laughs> Are we ready for this? Right. Okay. Um, so, so basically going back to Joss here and talking about his, uh, the, the effect that he had on me, um, and separating him from his work, which is something that I've had to do. I didn't really come around to him. Like I wasn't somebody who watched Buffy, uh, from like the time that it was aired. I was someone who basically, um, sort of, uh, came around to his writing through actually through his comic book work through Astonishing X Men. Um, so that was years after Buffy. That was like in what I mean, I want to say like 2004, maybe 2005. Um, and I just, you know, and that that was coming off of like for, for those of us who know comics, uh, um, X Men was at the time it was new X-Men and it was just coming off the movie and um, Grant Morrison had had a run on it. Grant Morrison's this pretty popular uh, comic book writer who essentially, um, he basically took the X-Men in a physical sort of direction and very kind of like out there. Um, And to me, to to my younger self, that was a little too uh, strange for my taste. So I appreciate Whedon bringing forth and making it a little more grounded. Um, of course, looking back on it now, I really appreciate Grant Morrison's run. So, you know, like I said, evolution. Um, you 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 can't appreciate things over time. I think more as time has gone on. Um, Whedon's run, if anything, now on Astonishing just looks kind of more simplistic. But I I felt like he really understood those characters in a lot of ways. Uh, especially at the time. And so, you know, I just, I liked the way that he had the them bantering back and forth and sort of the stories that he did um, in that run. And then going back from that, I sort of became a fan of Firefly before Buffy. And although I had seen episodes of Buffy and reruns and that sort of thing, like early in the morning when I was living in, in Hawaii and stuff, and, and they used to play them on like at 6 a.m. or something. And for some reason, I would catch a few reruns and stuff. The very first Buffy episode I ever saw was Band Candy, which was actually a Jane Espenson episode. It was very, very funny. Um, and one of my favorites to this day. And 
eventually, you know, got got into Firefly, got into Buffy, got into Angel, really enjoyed his sort of like like you were saying, his style of writing and his sort of humor. Um, I understood his humor and I felt like it was the type of humor that that I myself am sort of prone to um, utilizing in some ways. And, uh, uh, you know, it's that kind of nerdy, quippy, you know, sort of pun filled, you know, kind of like that sort of thing that I that I do enjoy. It's the um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's the conversations you wish you and your friends were witty enough to have. Exactly. Exactly. Correct. Yes. Um, and I just feel like. I feel like that spoke to me a lot. And then, of course, when you when you saw him in interviews at the time, in particular, you know, like in the early 2000s and or the mid 2000s, you kind of got a sense that you know a lot of that was coming from him because that was the type of that was just the way that he sounded, even in real life, um, you know, in real life, quote unquote. Uh, so to me, it kind of resonated, and I respected him as a writer in fact i kind of like idolized him as a writer i would say and anytime you idolize somebody that's like asking for trouble because you know that no one is perfect and frankly you shouldn't put anybody up on a pedestal because it's uh that's that's setting yourself up for for some disappointment i think in the long run um and i so for me, you know, when, when this stuff started coming out, when his wife, um, when his ex-wife, I should say, um, Kai Cole, when she wrote that letter to, I think it was, um, God, it wasn't Variety. It was the other one. Um, Hollywood Reporter. Hollywood Reporter. Okay. I think. I think. It was either Hollywood Reporter or Deadline. It might have been Deadline. Um but yeah, when she wrote that that open letter about how he had treated her and stuff like that, that was the first inkling for me that that like okay, you know, because I I hadn't really heard about Emma Caulfield, I hadn't really heard about Charisma Carpenter, and then of course you hear about them and and how he treated them, and it's just, you know, that that was it. Um, I think, in terms of separating him from his art that's been a process for me and um it's hard for me to really go back and rewatch a lot of buffy now it's harder for me to do that whereas before it used to be so super easy i haven't even watched firefly or serenity since um since this all this stuff broke i i haven't gone back to watch that it's like it's almost like i can't uh dollhouse for me was an outlier it wasn't that good um disagree I, I don't know. I just I, I it, it had potential. <laughs> it wasn't like as well executed as some of his other stuff. But anyway, I agree with that. Doctor Horrible. I have I have gone back and rewatched because I like that one a lot. Um, his version of Much Ado About Nothing. I I have a very hard time going back and rewatching that because it was filmed in his house. His wife cameoed in there. His ex wife cameoed in that. Um, it's it's the house that she basically designed for them. It's just so weird to me to go back and rewatch that. So I haven't done that either. But, you know, it's just like, yeah, he was somebody that had a really big effect on me um, in terms of how I personally write and in terms of how I sort of um, viewed popular culture in a lot of ways. 
and also some of our views aligned so especially over time and i would say that you know like i said about the thing of, of like challenging your views and that sort of thing i think for me that was something that happened through his work and I don't know. So, so, so you know what I mean. For me, it was just something that I, I got, I got really deep into into Whedon's um, work, and I really respected him probably more than I should have. And I, I think that now looking back on it, I feel like in some ways it's it's kind of a case by case thing for me. Like you know, Buffy, I'll always love. I have an easier time going back to that. Um, Astonishing X-Men is a run I haven't read in years, so I haven't reread it in years. Um, Firefly and Serenity, something I can't really touch anymore, and Much Ado I can't really touch anymore. So, I don't, I don't know. If, you know, I just, it, it, again, I always say the word complicated, but I mean, it's just something where <clears throat> I kind of have complicated feelings about it, and I kind of think that, that like, I wish I wish that he was somebody who was a better person. Because to me I I I did kind of idolize him in some ways and I think that you know now I just feel like an idiot. The MCU is ever expanding and if you didn't know we have expanded an MCU and me the podcast by Clockshelves Entertainment is now available on most of your major podcast platforms. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Uh, so if you aren't already following us, or maybe you have some friends who are getting back into the MCU, maybe doing a deep dive uh, into some of the then-Netflix shows like Daredevil, Jessica Jones, things like that, or maybe even they're catching up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, or they're just going back and watching all of the movies. Uh, every single pocket of the MCU, of course, is uh, being covered on MCU and Me, so make sure to recommend that they check us out on their favorite podcast platform, uh, MCU and Me, available from Clockshelves Entertainment. It so similarly, I'm a big fan work wise. I'm a big fan of Joss Whedon's work, and then I'm talking over the, the years. I'm not saying necessarily since all of this has happened. So, mm -hmm. I, I know you two will get it. I'm just making that clarification for other people. Sure, big fan of his work, big fan of certain things I'm not saying everything but certain jj abrams things i think he writes and directs things very well and i'm a big fan of kevin smith's work and i feel like the way that all three of them sort of write and direct and their styles are similar like like you said where that's sort of a combination of them whether it's the way that i the way that i speak or you know like i said the, the conversations you wish you and your friends were witty enough to have or you know, one day that when I, not if, but when I make a film, I would like to think that I would incorporate those those sort of styles while also finding my own. And you know what I mean? All that sort of stuff. And it becomes very difficult. And I think, Yona, you could even kind of att attest to this. 
the Facebook group that we're a part of had to change its name from yeah. Weedenverse to Buffyverse and Beyond, I think it's called. So shout out to that group. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the problem, I, I think, and whether we want to just say him or any of them really, we this this goes to Liam's sort of thing about it's Hollywood. We put these people up. Like I said, and we love to we love to watch them fall and then, you know, grovel and crawl back and whatnot. But we put them up as if they are, you know, I don't want to say godlike figures, but we do. Like we we even said with all of those things, whether it be Joss Whedon's things or like we said about like the Chris Benoit of it all or Kevin Spacey, like there are so many other people who were involved in all of those projects. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, it's the way that Hollywood has sort of designed itself over the years or entertainment has sort of designed itself over the years where whether it's a character, a Batman is going to make money. A Batman film is going to make money. Yeah. That's that stupid Superman movie where he just cried outside of her window made money. I don't even, I think he threw one punch in that entire movie. The one with Brandon Routh. He's just a whiny emo bitch in that whole movie. I'm sorry, but he is. I, don't, I think, I think I do. I think he threw like one punch in the whole thing. I don't think he and even threw movie, a punch, honestly. That, but that movie made, I mean, it didn't make a lot, but it made a decent amount of money because Superman was on it. WWE, and that's they that's by design. They've done that where you don't go to a WWE show, you know, you're not going to see The Rock and and the rest of them. You're going to see WWE because your favorite stars will be there. But you go see a Kevin Spacey movie. You go see this movie because it's by the director of, you know, the X-Men, where you know, if it's a Brian Singer movie or you go see anything because Joss Whedon was involved with it so much so that like you, like you said Jane you know your favorite episode is written by Jane Espenson I said about Tim Minear and um Marty Noxon and and David Greenwald and all of these things and you know people have that cred of from the producers of such and such but when mm -hmm. it's from the creator of or the you know you could throw Joss Whedon's name again years ago you could throw that out there and it would pretty much get a green light, you know, or he's, he's attacked. JJ Abrams does it all the time, right? He attaches himself as an executive producer because he knows the writer or the writer. Was it, was, was he, was he an executive producer on Alcatraz? Mm, maybe. But the whoever the the creator of that show, I think, worked on like Lost and Fringe and whatever. I think he was a I think he was an executive producer on that show. Mm. But basically, that show got I'm not saying it wasn't good. I don't know. I never watched it. I'll be completely honest. But that show realistically got the green light because the person had worked on Lost and Fringe and basically had the name association with J.J. Abrams. Yeah, he was apparently he was a producer on it. Yep. Right. Do we really think that he did anything other than lend his name to it? I highly doubt it. Now, did the, was the project good enough? I don't know. I, I I'll admit I never saw it. But I'm I could almost bet that it got more 
publicity than it probably would have because his name was attached to it. And that's not a bad thing. It's just what we've done yeah. as a society with regards to Hollywood. Yep. Right? Like even even reality stars and whatever. I don't care about what is happening with Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. But do you know how many Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, Pete Davidson memes I see all day and share them with everyone because it's funny? <laughs> I don't care what's going on, but it's just what we do. Yeah. We like to put whatever. Now, and it, you know, I have been seeing the things with Kanye West where it's like if somebody was acting like, you know, he he acts the same as a lot of the the dads of of your friends who who aren't with their you know, child's fathers anymore. And when it happened to them, you didn't think it was funny. And I, I admit that that is true, but it's what we we've given Kanye West and other entertainers, whether it be directors or writers or what have you, a platform in which they become these larger than life characters or larger than life figures. And then we get, it's terrible to say, but we get upset when they don't live up to the pedestal that we've put them on. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. And it's, but it it's, it's disheartening for us as well. Like you said, Kiona, like you had like a very particular, like I have, there are two shows over the last few years, three shows actually, but, but there are like two, yeah, three shows that I have a very difficult time that there was a part of me that was like, I don't know if I'll ever watch these shows again. One of them being Buffy, because like I said, it's a top three show for me. Mm. And so once everything came out, and I mean, once everything was basically confirmed and you found out there was more to it than was ever hinted at with regards to Joss Whedon, I was like, oh my goodness, can I ever watch this again? I don't know. I'll talk about that in a moment. The other one, uh, another one being the show One Tree Hill, mm. because it turns out that the creator of that show, who was also on there for like two or three episodes, was uh, very sexually explicit with a lot of the actresses. Yeah. Now, one of the things that gave me the idea, I still have not watched it, but three of the actresses from that show have started doing a rewatch podcast because they've said multiple times it became difficult for them because fans would come up and be like, oh my gosh, the show changed my life. These characters were, you know, they, they, the show and the characters helped bring me out of such a depression. And, I'm, you know, every, every creator uh, feels that at a certain point, you know what I mean? Like, I honestly, I feel it about my own creation sometimes. I know that sounds like super gauche to say, but like, I've talked about it before, like doing some of doing my Lost with Friends podcast was very helpful to me when I was in a, a very dark place. But sure. like even watching some of my favorite YouTubers helped. You know what I mean? Because I was like, well, they they're ta they're they're taking my mind off of whatever it is. Whatever I'm going through, they're taking my mind off of it. And the, the actors and act well the actresses in particular on One Tree Hill decided that they basically wanted to reclaim the show. Because for them they're just like, I'm so happy that it helped you but you don't realize it was a traumatic experience for me. And so they've been doing mm -hmm. the, the, they're doing the podcast where they're kind of reclaiming the show. Now I have not watched that one yet. I will admit, but that was like, that gave me a reason to be like, okay, 
it might be okay to watch this. I might be able to do this because they're doing that. And the third show that I was, when I said three things, mm-hmm. the third one being the Gilmore Girls. And that's only because I started watching it the very first episode with, um, I've never told this story on a podcast, I don't think. Um, I started watching it with my ex's daughter. And then the very next day I got dumped. So I was oh. like, oof. Yeah. And that was, that was a few years ago at this point, you know what I mean? But I didn't know if I would, because I, my, my ex's daughter was nine at the time. And so, and she had her very young. So I was like, oh, this, you know, we'll watch this and maybe you'll understand your mother a bit more, you know, (laughs) like things like that. And so, um, I was like, this is going to be our, you know, me and you, this is how we're going to bond. We're going to watch this show. And, and then the next day. I got dumped. And so I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to watch that. And I'm, I'm only just within the last few months coming around to the idea that I might be okay emotionally to watch that. Mm -hmm. It's not an emotional show for me. It just has that attachment. Has that memory attached. Yeah. Right. And I'm just within the last few months now saying I might be able to do that. Now, again, those are very different than, well, that one's very different than the Joss Whedon thing. The One Tree Hill one is is similar, of course. Now, with the Buffy thing, I, I recently, you know, here's a, a, a breaking thing for people out there listening to, to my podcast. Uh, we're trying to do a Buffy podcast, kind of, sort of. We're seeing what's going on with it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I recently rewatched the very first episode. And I had some people on, people who had never actually seen the show before and, and some people who had seen the show and whatnot. And I, I didn't go into it as in-depth as I did here, but I did kind of go into how it was the first time that I'd watched it since, you know, everything came out about Joss Whedon and I wasn't sure how I would react to it. And honestly, I didn't react as negatively as I thought I was going to. Mm. I was able... To, I mean, yeah, does it creep into your mind every so often? Yeah, because like we said, he has that very particular style. And I know because I've watched pretty much everything on those DVDs, extras, and I said there are even shots where listening to him do commentary over and over again where I know this shot was actually filmed when they were doing the season finale and he reshot it and because, you know, and I could tell the lighting is different, whatever. That's how big of a fan I was that I was like, I could do that on watching it once. I could tell you what scenes were shot months later and, and all of that. Oh, wow. So, yeah, <laughs> it obviously creeps into my mind a little bit where I'm just like, yeah, OK, maybe maybe, you know, because his fingerprints are all over it. I won't ever be able to fully separate it. But I was actually able to enjoy the episode and all of its cheesy 90s goodness. I was able to watch it and enjoy it as an episode of TV and not just watch it and go, oh, but he did all those things. You know what, in a strange way, sort of helps me with it? It was something that Sarah Michelle Gellar said, who plays Buffy on the show, for those who don't know. Um, she she basically said that she will always want to be connected with with Buffy, or she will always want to be associated with Buffy, the vampire slayer, but she doesn't so much want to be associated with Joss Whedon. And I found that distinction sort of interesting and it kind of helped me to sort of be like, okay, you know, like I can think of it in those terms. Yeah. 
it's her show, not his show. Well, it's it it's Buffy. It's not Joss Whedon. You know, it's like so you're the, looking at it as as in terms of it being just Buffy in its in itself as its own entity, as opposed to it being like an offshoot of Joss Whedon or like, uh, you know, just just something that he he basically did on his own or something. I don't know why it just popped into my head. It's it's kind of funny <clears throat> that you that you say that and put that quote because when they did the season eight comics mm-hmm. and he, you know, officially be like, he was like, I'm taking over the comics and, and what have mm-hmm. you. And somebody tried doing the, I don't know if it was one of the covers or just the character of Buffy in the book or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the person was like, I can't draw Sarah Michelle Geller. And he's like, I don't want you to draw Sarah Michelle Geller. I want you to draw Buffy. Buffy isn't her. So it's kind of funny that she kind of flipped that she around flipped on, on him, him yeah. years later. Yeah, she did. <laughs> but, I mean, there's we could probably find, like I said, there are tons of these things, whether it be like singers or actors or what have you. Like I said earlier about, you know, sort of even, like I said, Polanski with, you know, going after underage girls and you know can you separate like i said it, can you separate that you know the art from the artist in that way knowing like i said certain songs were written you know what they were written about and i mean really it happens with a lot of your favorite songs folks if you actually look into what they're really about oh. it's probably not what you think yeah one of my favorite examples <laughs> of that is eric clapton's wonderful tonight was not necessarily uh, originally a lovey-dovey thing it was um his well, it was George Harrison's wife, actually, at the time. Uh, they were going out, and she kept nagging him. Do I look okay? Is my hair okay? And he just kept saying, you look wonderful tonight, as like a just shut up sort of deal. <laughs> and then he turned it into a lovey-dovey song. And you know what I mean? Like, it's that's one of my favorite stories, where what you think the song is about is but isn't really. Like, he loved her enough where he was just like, you look wonderful. Like, obviously, he's going to think she looks wonderful because he's in love with her. But it was really more just like, you look great. Just shut up and stop asking me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, you know, but oh, we could, yeah, <laughs> you're never going to listen to that song again. The same uh, I can't unhear that now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that. I mean, that right there is one of those things. You can't unhear it. You can't unknow what you know about these people. And it is sort of a case by case basis. Can can Liam unknow about? Brian Singer or Kevin Spacey or Mel Gibson or what's the Jeepers Creepers guy? Uh, Did you say his name was uh, Victor Salva? Yes. Can we unknow about the things that they did? No. But can we separate the art from the artist? I guess it depends on the person. Yeah, it does. I think it really depends on the individual. And I think it depends on the, you know, it's like, like we've been saying the case by case basis. So Man, I, uh, interesting topic, though. <laughs> I, I, and that's the thing is, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think this that we would be able to. I, I, I was no, I was under no false pretense that we'd be able to like solve this at the end, where we're just like, okay, we're giving everyone a free pass, or okay, cancel culture rules everything. <laughs> I knew we were gonna come at the, at the end, we were gonna kind of come to a standstill of, well, oh, actually, I, to quote a Joss Whedon line, well. Here I am. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. The operative. <laughs> Not the operative. I'm sorry. It's Jubal Early. That was Jubal Early. Yes. Um, well, here I am. <laughs> but yeah, um, um, 
you know, I, I just, I've heard it so many multiple ways of people taking this too, where it's just like some people have, have literally been like, you know what, I don't, I don't even get why you're even like, like concerning yourself with this. Like everybody's done bad things and everybody's said stupid shit. And it's like, you know, just, just, just deal with it. And, and for me, it's like, yeah, I understand that. But at the same time, like, look at the Joss Whedon thing. I mean, you saw me get kind of upset about it earlier. Like, it literally upsets me. I'm so disappointed to the point where I get, like, pissed. Because I'm just... I don't know. Uh... It, it, it meant a lot to me. And, and to have that taken away, to have that sort of, like... You know, to, to have it tarnished in a way, was... Um, it was a little bit, like, disheartening for me. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna sit here and be all, like, stoic and stone-faced and be like, oh... I just sat there and I took it. I'm, I'm, you know, and I didn't mean that in a euphemistic way. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's just like you, sometimes you build things up in your mind to mean something that they, they're, that they're not, or people to mean, you know, things to you that they're really not. And it was disillusioning. I'm not going to lie about it and say that I didn't feel anything about it. I'm just going to say, that yeah, it was it was something that hurt for a while, and uh, eventually you know you move on from it. And I feel like to a degree I've moved on, but it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting rewatching Buffy and rewatching like stuff like Firefly and stuff like that. I I mean it's it's about time, and even Dollhouse. I'll give that one another chance too. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, you know what it is though, honestly, and like I'm 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 a religious person. I I am. I I, I don't. I don't shy away from it. I don't like talk about it like a lot, mm -hmm. but it's like when people, whether you grew up in a religion or what have you, it's, it's like when you find out or when you, when you start to believe, I should say for, for some people that that isn't true, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Or it's like when you find out, and again, it's that pedestal thing but it's it's like when you find out your parents are human. Oh my goodness. They're 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 hu they made mistakes. You know what I mean? Like when you're when you're growing up, you think that your your parents are these mythical superhero figures. I remember when I was a little little kid, I used to think the fact that my parents were over 20 made them old. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like that. And then as I'm getting older, I'm like, I, I, you know, as I started to get near 20, I'm just like, oh my, I was so dumb. Like 20 isn't old. Like I'm, you know, I'm early thirties and I still, I mean, sometimes I think I'm old and my friends will, you know, my, my friend Jake says that I'm actually like 65 and I exist through a time portal and all, I'm older <laughs> than my own parents somehow. And all these other things, it's clock shelves mythology. It's, it's what it is by this point, but you know, there, but then there are other times where I'm just like, no, I, I still got a lot that I can, I still have a lot that I can accomplish. I still have a lot of road ahead of me. Uh, you know, I still, I feel like I have more ahead of me than, than behind me. You know what I mean? I'm not over that hill just yet. You know what I mean? Like, I, but I also thought I'd have a lot more figured out at this point and a lot more kind of set in my life. I hear you. But... <laughs> It's, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, it is what it is when, with regards to all that sort of stuff, it's like when, like I said, it's like when you find out that, that your parents are, are 
human. That reminds you know. That, that reminds me so much of like this. The very first time that I ever felt old was when I was reading like an issue of like Electronic Gaming Monthly or something because I used to do that because I was a total nerd. Um, but they said something about like if you like a Genesis game or something like they mentioned this one game and they said if you know about this game you're old and I'm like I know about that game dude shut up the thing that makes me feel old and it's it's actually I found out it's 50-50 I work in I try not to give away too much about where I work so mm. I will just say that I work in fashion now believe it or not people out there listening I know you'd <laughs> be very surprised to learn that I work in fashion um but I found out recently that half the kids the kids <laughs> high school prom age kids I can't the believe kids. I say the kids but half the kids don't like to ask someone to prom you don't do it unless you're dating some if you're in a relationship with someone you go together if you're not in a relationship you don't ask someone to prom just friend groups go together that made that i i did like a double take i'm like i was friends with a girl what? and i asked her to be my date we weren't dating but i asked her to be my date to my prom uh, yeah but apparently they don't do that anymore. Yeah. Unless you're in a relationship, no one asks people anymore. Wow. That made me feel really old. That's so strange. <laughs> but you know what? But that's, but it's going back to what I was, what I was saying. Like it's when you find out that, you know, thing, I mean, even that, you know, what you thought was the case isn't. And we, for good or for ill, we put these, figures and like i said it's a it's a something that we've we've did in this country the the golden age of hollywood kind of set that up where they decided mm -hmm. we're going to change your name to this we're going to make sure that you're photographed here yeah we're going to make sure that you're wearing this you're going to be pictured with this person i don't care if you're dating them i don't care if you're if you're gay straight whatever you're going to be with this person because they're they're going to get you even more publicity and it just very much spiraled out of control where suddenly celebrities are like you know in england they have the royal family and yeah. whatnot and i mean we yeah. have like politicians and whatever yeah, hollywood but celebrities royalty. are that for us yeah hollywood and, royalty yeah yeah and you know one when they don't live up to this impossible expectation we unfortunately hold them to <laughs> you then have to come to a situation where you have to decide can you separate the art from the artist mm-hmm yeah. One of my favorite things about recording any of the shows that I do, like MCU and Me or Lost with Friends or even back when we used to do Wrestling Renegades, is finding out little uh, details about the people that we have on. Uh, and sometimes in the middle of those conversations, you get some very interesting details about who the people are. And of course we try to present you with who those people are across the various clock shelves, entertainment shows. And one of the best ways that we do that is on our show, Paul and all, um, it is where I sit down, uh, with various people from all over the world, as I always say, and I just talk with them. And I, the, you know, no topic is too small on our show, Paul and all, as our intro says. And I would love if you would go and check it out, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, of course, you can find the links across all of our social media. 
And, you know, you could help us grow that show as well, because sometimes it's fun talking with the Losties or the True Believers uh, about things that aren't necessarily Lost or Marvel or wrestling or what have you. Um, sometimes getting to know the people is what is the fun part for me. I am Paul. I am your voice of choice here at Clock Shelves Entertainment, and I host Paul and All. Go check it out. Liam, I feel like we dominated the conversation and didn't let you talk. So sorry, Liam. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I just wanted to talk about the Josh Whedon thing briefly. And please do. I'll I'll try and be gentle. Uh, (laughs) I never really liked Josh Whedon. It's fair. I I never really liked him, and especially with Age of Ultron, just really rubbed me the wrong way. So that kind of like, okay, you know what? I'm I'm done with this. I do understand you there because, yeah, even for me, it kind of did too. And uh, so, like, when this stuff came out about Josh Whedon, there was this, like, small part of me that was, like, vindication. (laughs) i never really liked this guy and you know but and honestly it it, it's kind of the thing you talked about you talk about like the way he writes and like liking the quips and stuff Mm -hmm. that's kind of the main thing i don't like because it always sticks out to me and it's always like it's always something that will that will take me out of a movie or a tv show is when, in in my opinion, someone doesn't talk like a human being. Because I think Paul said it, how, like, these are the conversations you wish you had with your friends. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because people aren't having these conversations because I don't think people talk like that. Like, people don't talk in these, like, short back-and-forth witty quips. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen. People, you know, people, uh, stu- people stutter and mumble their words, and it's... Yeah. Sure. Even like this isn't the same, but like when 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 I'll see these overly choreographed fight scenes, where it's like (laughs) people who fight don't fight like that. They don't like perfectly know where the next hit is coming to block it. It's like it becomes more like dancing than fighting. True. Because of how overly, but it's just you know, it, it always bothers me when I don't think people are talking like a real human being. Walking Dead got really bad with it because you would introduce little comic book characters and like like these three they're dressed like comic book characters and they're talking like comic book characters nobody sounds remotely close to what this guy is saying and it's just I don't know no that's a perfectly fair criticism I mean I, I totally I understand exactly where you're coming from with that I think that it's it's true I don't know for so for me again, personally. I I've always enjoyed. Yeah, I, I also don't have like I'm not coming with the same stuff for Josh Reedon as you guys are either. Like I've not seen Buffy or Firefly, mm-hmm. so like m- m- my primary experience with uh, Josh Reedon again is like s- some of these movies that he's done, and you know I, I see his effect. I, I see his. Uh, not effect uh influence in a tv show like agents of shield um uh, i even see it 
sometimes in other things of like uh you mentioned that Jane Epstein is that how what her name is es- Espenson Jane Espenson yeah Espenson like is she had I I know she has like influence in a show like Once Upon a Time because mm-hmm. my because my mom watches Buffy and I don't think my mom really liked really liked her much mm-hmm. so she would point out things like that was that was Jane Espenson she wrote this episode of Once Upon a Time it's like uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, so again, it's different experience. Like maybe if I had grown up watching Buffy, I would have liked Josh Whedon a bit more. But so did you? Did you sort of like your first experience with his work was that through Avengers, essentially? I mean, if you don't count like Toy Story. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That makes. Sense. I do. Yeah. I do actually think. I read that X Men comic you were talking about. I'm not astonishing. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Did you say he took over from someone else? He took over from uh, Grant Morrison's run, I, I I believe. I I would have to see what I, I would have to see what's what specific stuff he did, and if it's the thing that I'm thinking of, then I did like that, and that could have been my first experience with with josh whedon his very first arc on that was the cure arc he actually came up with that whole thing of like it was the um i think it was dr kavita rao was the name of the character who came up with the mutant cure right and then that does that arc like lead into like the danger room becoming sentient yes yes okay i I have becomes a character yeah i have read that stuff that i i did like that stuff yeah. I, I will admit that little arc is good. He did some good things, and the artwork was great. John Cassidy's art was fantastic. So I, I really liked that one. Uh, that one. That what they did with the one little kid who had the power to fly, but then he lost that power. Yeah. That, yeah. I just remember there were like all these splash pages of like all the characters using their powers, and they all had like. You know, they had internal monologues of, like, what they were doing and stuff. And then Wolverine's monologue was just, like, one panel. And he just says, I really like beer. Right. And that was it. But anyway, yeah, I mean, um, so so let me ask you, Liam, real quick. Um, did you see his version of, of Justice League? Did you see Justice League? Yes. I have, I have seen both Ooh. versions of Justice League. Have you seen the Snyder Cut as well? I have seen the Snyder Cut, yes. Honestly, I feel like we could have a whole podcast talking about, about these two versions. Because <laughs> what I was telling Paul earlier, and I think I think you'll appreciate this more, it's something we've never really happened before, is we have two people making the same movie. Yeah. It's just like... it. I know Zack Snyder's version is much longer, but it's still... It's still beat for beat. I mean, not beat for beat. It's still basically the same exact movie, like story-wise. Essentially, and what yeah. And it's the same writer. I mean, not the same writer. I mean, it's the same like direct. It's the same actors. I finally got there. You know, it's the same actors, the same people. Yeah. So, you know, when you try and compare this director to that director, you could say like, oh no, he's been he he was working with that person. He was working with this person. But like, no, these are basically like the same exact movies just well, done different way and you look at the stuff that you know you, you see oh josh whedon took this out of the movie and filmed this instead like what, what was he thinking with that it's 
see, that's when when you said that because you you did present this idea to me the other day, and you were like, it's you know making the same movie, and my mind immediately went to when um, Gus Van Sant redid uh, Psycho, Psycho, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Psycho, and I was like. Well, yeah, that's, you know, he did, because I believe it's almost exactly shot for shot remake, but like you said, different actors, mm-hmm. you know, obviously he didn't have like Janet Lee and, and whatnot, because that was the only thing that came to mind when you were like, it's the first time some, you know, ever two directors have ever done the same movie and, you know, not like John Carpenter doing Halloween versus Rob Zombie doing Halloween. Like Von Sant's version was supposed to be like a shot for shot remake, but again, different mm-hmm. actors and whatnot. So yes. I, I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not super into, I don't, I don't think DC knows what they're doing with their films. Yeah. And I think the fact that they did two different versions of Justice League proves that. Um, but I, I think that, yeah, I mean, I think that like the way that they brought him in and just the fact that they, they just didn't seem to have a, a rudder in terms of like, they didn't seem to know which which direction they wanted to go with. Did, did we want to be more like Marvel or did we want to let Zack Snyder continue to make his vision of, of the DC universe? And I think that the Joss's version of Justice League was, oh man, like that was a mess. Um, and, and I say that as somebody who at the time was was even a fan of his and, and even would say that, that I was okay with that movie for what it was but it certainly wasn't what Zack Snyder would have done. So I was actually glad that, that they gave him the opportunity to, to finish out his, his vision of what the DCU could have been or should have been. And honestly, I think, I think Justice League, now I might be wrong in this, but I think, I think Justice League is about the time that these allegations of Josh Whedon started becoming more and more prevalent. Because I believe yeah. it was, I believe it was Ray Fisher who started yes. talking about the behavior on set, and yeah. something that he also mentioned, which was key, was like the DC had Walter Hamada kind of being an enabler of Josh Whedon's behavior, and you know not really helping the situation out. out yeah, right. wait, that's that's not the, the name that you said, the enabler. Who is that? What's 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 that person's position? Uh, I think he's. I think he's like the number one of DC films. Yeah, he's like the executive producer, sort of like their their Kevin Feige in a way. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I believe so. I thought I thought that was supposed to be Jeff Johns. I think it used to be him. Kind of both of okay. them, sort of, because they were both okay. uh, named as, as you know as alleged um, you know the, allegedly the people that that sort of were the enablers in that situation. No, I just meant as as head, I thought Jeff Johns was head of like DC in that way. But oh okay, yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, I gotcha. But boy, that's a whole another can of worms, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a yeah, but I just wanted to know like your your opinion on that because I think that yeah, especially just he tends to write a lot of similar dialogue or or similar kind of uh rhythm to his dialogue i think but you know for buffy it worked because these are teenagers and these are people dealing with things that are operatic in nature and and very apocalyptic and that sort of thing so i feel like it kind of works better in certain situations and for avengers it kind of works because it's more of a lighthearted, you know it's a marvel thing it just well that's 
in in the very in the discussion of the very first Buffy episode, uh, one of my friends brought up the fact that they use the term Wiggins. Wiggins. And he was like, I don't know what that means, <laughs> and we basically, I basically had to, you know, explain to him like that's maybe it's a, a California word, and I just didn't know, but really that's a that's a Joss Whedon word that he then started to use. And then the other writers sort of adopted it and it kind of became, you know, I don't want to say it became like part of the the pop culture, but, you know, people did start using it because it was in that show and what have you. And I think like you like you just said, it his dialogue can work in certain things because it's it's to me, it's no different than in Lost. We accept the fact that there is a smoke monster so why can't we, you know, we accept that thing over here, but why can we suddenly say, oh, but this thing over here makes no sense? You know what I mean? Mm. And to me, it's like, okay, like, and there's actually a moment in the the, the Buffy episode where the, the one girl, it's one, it's, and I, I even said it in the discussion, it's probably one of my favorite just, like, stupid moments where they go, this girl's walking through the, the locker room and she says something along the lines of, what kind of name is Buffy? And then somebody else yells off screen, Hey, Aphrodisia. And she goes, Hey, like as if your name isn't stupid, Aphrodisia. Like you have Buffy, Cordelia, Willow, Xander. That's the only one I could kind of accept because it's short for Alexander. But you know what I mean? Like you have names like that. And so to me, I'm like, well, if we're going to go with these names aren't strange, I can accept a lot of the, the dialogue that sort of exists because like I said, to me, it's, it's like lost where, okay, this is reality where a smoke monster exists. I can, if I, if I can accept vampires and witches and, and all of these other creatures existing in this world, I can accept that they talk in this goofy way that I wouldn't actually talk. That's just, that's, that's me. That's, you know what I mean? Like, that's just my thing. Now, when it comes to, him putting that dialogue in other things, even certain things with like dollhouse or now firefly of course was different because it was the future and multiple languages combined and what have you. That was different because you know, it was just different. But like with, when he used it in dollhouse, it was like, mm, doesn't quite work. Cause this is supposed yeah. to be yeah. a lot more realistic than anything else he had ever done. And again, the Avengers it's comic book. So if people talk kind of goofy, again, it's kind of accepted because it's comic book. If I can, if I can acknowledge that, you know, a thunder or, or a lightning god can come out of the sky and a man can turn into a green monster, I can accept that they might say, you know, a witty line here or there. Mm -hmm. That clearly, like we said, it's clearly scripted, and it's clearly. the converse. Like I said, it's the conversations I wish my friends and I had. We just don't have good writers, or we don't have writers at all. <laughs> We need and writing we do, staffs. We do stammer and stutter and whatever. What'd you say? We need writing staffs. <laughs> well, I don't know, because sometimes I, I feel like I'm in season five and just struggling through the plot. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, we're in the mansion in season six. The manor in season six. I don't know. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um. I don't really know how we want to end this. Like I said, I knew there wasn't going to be like some big revelation where we just decide 
this is the this is the 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 threshold to which we you know acknowledge <laughs> these things are okay and these things aren't like like we kind of said it is it is a case by case basis sort of thing um and you know it it really just comes down to what do you like what do you as the individual thing mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i said some people like and I get it, even even from from Liam's point of view, where it was like, all right, vindication, because he didn't like Joss Whedon. Yeah, you know what I mean. And like for a lot of people, again, even you know, I said how with with Whedon there were a lot of like rumors and things like that. There was a lot of that with with Harvey Weinstein, even you know. And so when things came out about him, it was like yes. But whereas with you know uh, like Louis C.K., who was for all intents and purposes, he was seen like the everyman comic. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, like a lot of people thought like he was, he was like, he's, he's like me. You know what I mean? Like he speaks about the things that I would want to speak about. And he's, you know, like, you know, not to get super into politics, but he's very, oh, excuse me. He has, you know, some things that are, you know, more conservative leaning and he has some things that are more liberal leaning. And you know what I mean? Like he, he's, he's an actual real person who just happened to make it kind of not saying that I want to put them in the same category, but kind of like a Kevin Smith where he's just like, he wears jorts. I wear jorts. You know what I mean? Like, like sort of thing. Like he, he, he's, he makes, you know, jokes about anal and whatnot. Like I, me and my friends make those jokes. You know what I mean? Like something like that. Like it, it feels like, you know, this, it kind of gives you sort of that hope of like, if they could do it, I could do it too. Sort of exactly. Thing. And then, and then to find out yeah. that they, you know, they being Louis CK, not Kevin Smith, but that they, you know, did like these, these horrible things and and maybe he wasn't just like joss maybe he wasn't such a feminist like he claimed to be and you know what i mean whatever it it it's Uh, very disheartening you know yeah um i don't know if we had any more examples that we wanted to give or if we had anything else we wanted to really say um i feel like i think we i feel like that's a good place to leave it yeah yeah I think I think we covered a lot of ground. I think we brought up a lot of a lot of interesting points with who and you know who who are some of these people? What did they do? Were they were they justified in sort of tumbling once they got to that you know top of the mountain? And even like I said with the James Gunn thing, where he he kind of he came back. You know what I mean? Can, can, can some of them come back? Yeah. Like, I think he's an example of that. I think like Seinfeld said about Louis CK, we didn't see him grovel. We haven't, we still haven't seen Joss Whedon grovel because he kind of doubled down on, on what he did in a, yeah, in a way, he, 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 you know, and that's not what we want to see. And like that's I said, even with like the, the Chris, it wasn't the smart thing. No. Yeah. But like with the Chris Benoit thing, we'll never get the chance to see that because of how everything ended there. We don't get the chance to to say, you know, like, and I mean, you, I'm sure Keanu, you could kind of speak to this with wrestling in general. 
we see a lot of them pull the nose up and they get, you know, in, in wrestling and in rock and roll, mm-hmm. they refer to, you know, the demons that people have. And that's, you know, drug and alcohol addiction or yeah. sex addiction or basically any of the addictions or, or problems that they have. And, you know, a lot of them get help. Not all of them do, obviously, but, you know, they get help and they, they pull the nose up and whether they find religion or they, you know, just start living a healthier life or Mm -hmm. what have you it's you always want to see sort of that comeback story where they pull the nose up and everything's fine and unfortunately with like a benoit we will never get that yeah we still theoretically i don't want to say i don't i don't want to put too much out there but theoretically we could still see that with joss whedon do i think it'll happen no no but we could in theory see it happen. i think he's much too proud Oh, and right, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and like there are there, I mean, like I said, we didn't get to see it with Louis C.K. We did get to see it with James Gunn and and you know Mel Gibson has sort of paid his penance in a way. People still bring up a lot of stuff, and he still sometimes says some crazy stuff. Yeah. He, uh, you know, he still at least is more accepted. Um. But yeah, it's 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 all on a case by case basis, and uh, I feel like only oh my gosh, I'm about to say only you like freaking the the forest bear, <laughs> the fire bear guy. Um, Smoke the bear. <laughs> yeah. Oh but yeah. Like, <laughs> I realized that as I was gonna be like, only you can choose who should and only should not be canceled. Choose who to forgive. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh man. But, yeah, uh, it's true though. Yeah, it's true. So, <laughs> no, it is. But yeah, I mean, it really depends on chopping down a metal tree somewhere. No, I'm sorry. It's just uh, the ambient noise in the background. There, my dog is barking. <laughs> I apologize. No, no, no. You're, I thought I heard it sounded like somebody was uh, chopping down a metal tree before I heard the dog bark. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, strange things happen. <laughs> um, we have we have a lot of noise, a lot of noises. But no, it's okay. Well, yeah, you live in you live in Florida, so it's like a lawless. That's right, it's lawless wasteland. Anyway, so. Yeah, we all know it's it's DeSantis. He's out there <laughs> doing something in my tree. I don't know. Um, if we don't have anything else, I will give you guys the opportunity <laughs> to uh, shout out, you know, wherever they can find you all around the internet. So before I do that, do we have anything else we want to specifically say on this topic of separating the art from the artist? Um. Liam, anything else? Any final thoughts? No, not not really. I think I think that's about it. All right. Well, um, should we start with the the shout outs then? Outros? Absolutely. Go for it, sir. Okay. Um, so I'll I'll start this off then. I'll just say, uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much to Paul and Liam for having me on this show. Um, it's been a blast. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm always up to talking about, you know, Buffy and, and Joss Whedon and stuff like that and all these things that are um, just my life's blood and things that are really important to me. Um, so, yeah, you can find, um, well, I, I contribute to um, and was also a co-founder of uh, RenegadePopCulture.com, so you can find some of my writings over there and also a lot of the, the great work that um, my current collaborators are doing um as well and um the people who run the site now are are just really killing it they're doing a great job 
Um, so yeah, renegadepopculture.com. Also on Twitter at renpopculture. That's R-E-N, Ren, not Stimpy. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kiona Tang. That's K-E-O-N-A-T-A-N-G. And um, yeah, that's about it. So thank you very much, guys, once again for having me on. Yeah, and uh, if you want, you can check me out. Uh, you follow me on Twitter, uh, twitter.com. Well, not .com, just at Hazard Time. And uh, you can also check me out on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Hazard Time. I got some occasionally some stuff there. Nice. I'll give you a follow. It's not occasionally, dude. It's Liam puts out at least a video every day. Uh, he's he cranks out the content way yeah, more I than it. I do. I can guarantee you that much. Very cool. Um, but definitely check out what these guys are doing. Um, obviously you've you've heard me bang the drum for Liam and Hazard Time over the years, and I if you if you're not already go go subscribe to him. Um, Renegade Pop Culture. I am peripherally keeping up with i will i will be honest i don't uh, and i mean to be fair i don't keep up with everything that liam does either but i am peripherally uh aware of it i've checked out some of their like live twitch and facebook things and oh man was, you're uh, always there a... i'm always glad to see you when you're there paul yeah i i tr I, I try to pop it well my my theory is and liam can attest to this and and if, you know other friends that have been on things we all have to support each other right exactly like, it's you know even if even if none of us ever, you know, like break through to that mainstream and then we're up on a pedestal and, you know, then we tumble down like we sort of talked about earlier, uh, you know, skeletons in the closet and whatnot. <laughs> but even if we even if we never do that, like, how am I going to say, oh, man, no one listens to my shows when I'm not out there watching Liam's stuff or, you know, reading reading articles or watching videos or anything like that that comes out from Renegade Pop Culture and and what have you you know what i mean like how can i i can't i don't i never want to be that person that's that selfish that i don't check out the things that my friends and other people that i admire are doing creatively mm -hmm. you know what i mean so i definitely uh definitely suggest agree. that if if you haven't go follow uh these two and what they're doing uh fantastic work a lot of a lot of cool both of them are doing a lot of cool, uh, you know, geeky, nerdy stuff, which if you listen to this show, like, regularly, you probably are geeky, nerdy, too, especially if you got this far and, you know, actually understood 99% of what we were talking about with regards to Joss Whedon in particular. Or even 50%, I'll say. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so I will say, for me, I am on Twitter and Instagram at JPGRB. You can find more about... Uh, the other shows that we do, I reference the uh, MCU and Me show. I reference Lost with Friends. Um, I reference the Buffy thing. Uh, you can find out more about that on our social media. That's at Clock Shelves on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. You probably could have gotten this episode early if you uh, are a member of Content Club, available at patreon.com slash clockshelves. Uh, that is your hub. Go sub and throw some dough if you choose to do so over at Content Club, found at patreon.com slash clockshelves. Um, and I think that's pretty much everything that I plug at the end of these episodes. Uh, guys, I'm so thankful that you were on this episode and that we got to uh, do this and talk about this. This, uh, this is something I've been kind of wanting. And again, I maybe should have come up with a better way to end it, like figure out where our ending point was. But it's been something that's obviously been on my mind 
for mm, two years at least, I guess, since all of this uh, Whedon stuff sort of went down. Yeah. And then just all of these other figures that we sort of talked about, you know, came to mind as soon as I was like, well, you know, Whedon has tumbled down and so who else has? And, you know, and then, of course, Benoit comes to mind and, you know, Kevin Spacey and, and James Gunn, all those things. We talked about it all already, but you know what I mean? It's it's something that I've been wanting to talk about for a little while. And I felt like um, maybe with the Buffy anniversary coming up, um, it might be a good way to sort of talk about that because I feel like a lot of people are going to be rewatching that. And so it's, you know, sort of a way to, to let people know it is okay if you, if you can handle it, because again, it's based off of you on a case by case basis, but if you can handle it, it's okay. You don't have to be like ashamed to watch Buffy because Joss Whedon was involved in it and you know, whatever, like there are, there are other reasons. There are other good things about it. So many other people were involved in that in the creation Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. And uh, you said, would you say it was Sarah Michelle Geller? Yeah. That said, you know, she 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 wants to be involved with Buffy, but not necessarily with Joss. And I, I definitely feel that. I want to be a fan of Buffy, but that doesn't necessarily... I mean, again, it's like I said, there's a lot of, whether it be religious or political or what have you, things that I had to separate a long time ago with regards to him. Mm-hmm. I can be a fan of his work, but not necessarily be a fan of him as a person. And I feel like that goes with just about everybody that we sort of talked about today. Yeah. So, um, once again, thank you guys for being on. Um, he is Liam. He is Kiona. I am Paul. And for now that is all.